0: And welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac. And today, I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett hey, hey, hey. and James. Hello there. And today, as the third edition of our spooky, spooktober, spooky month spectacular, we will be talking about Earth AD Wolf's Blood by the Misfits. Now, this was James's pick. So, James, please elaborate as to why you think Earth AD fits Spooktober.
1: Well... Not only is there a track about literally turning into a werewolf, this album is just full of violence, blood, gore. It is an extremely insane, visceral album.
0: Yeah, not to mention Misfits were basically the progenitors of horror punk and one of the earliest examples of hardcore punk. These guys, they they got dressed up in makeup, they had this symbol and the classic Misfits logo was inspired by a nineteen forty six horror movie. Donzig himself has even stated that a lot of the lyrics for Misfits albums, at least Earth AD Wolf's Blood and their first album, were inspired by B horror movie slasher flicks. But if you're wondering, the Misfits are an American punk rock band who were founded in 1978 in Lodi, New Jersey by vocalist, songwriter, and keyboardist Glenn Donzig, along with drummer Manny Martinez. Their bassist, Jerry Only, would join shortly after and remain the only consistent member of the band in the group's entire history. Misfits, they have a very troubled history, and most of it is centered around Glenn Donzig. In
2: fact, when they started, before they even got the... Guitarist, they would just practice with him filling in the wrist with like the keyboard parts. Some of their unreleased stuff, like Theme for a Jackal, actually has backing piano, and I actually think it fits really well.
0: But unfortunately, a series of lineup changes, constant fights between the creatives, and Glenn generally being a very difficult person to work with, Misfits would initially live a very short career. Despite their influence, the band only really released three albums and only two officially static age their technical debut that was supposed to be released in 78 didn't even make it to stores until 97
1: 20 years later
0: (laughs) well the problem was they couldn't find a label who would take their music because you know they were kind of the first horror punk band it was a new sound and i'm sure a lot of labels were like man i don't know if i want to take a risk on this so like most hardcore punk bands they did it themselves So they made an independent record label. I believe it was called Plan 9 Records. They created their own fan group. They pressed their own vinyls. They did their own t-shirts. And they basically had a factory in Glenn Donzig's mother's basement. Do it your
2: freaking self.
0: The Misfits, along with groups like Black Flag and Minor Threat, were all a part of this big DIY punk movement that was emerging that began in the late 70s but it really emerged in the 80s. And Misfits is... Incredibly influential to not only hardcore punk, but to later acts, later alternative rock acts, metal acts, Metallica has even cited them as a major influence. Green Day, My Chemical Romance, GNR has also cited The Misfits. A lot of high-profile acts owed their sound partially in Due to. The Misfits. Very influential band, and it's kind of interesting because they only released two records at the time, and they were only really popular in the underground punk scene during their initial run.
2: It's kind of interesting to look at their impact versus the behind the curtain. There is a lot of parallels between The Misfits and all of the artists who cite them as influence and someone like Shuggy Otis, who really only had like two or three albums and like disappeared like a flash. But then you hear all these people saying, oh, yeah, I love their music. They they influenced me. They were there for such a short time, and their content is just so small in the grand scheme of things. But yet, so much could come from so little.
0: Yeah, it's wild because Earth AD is considered a hardcore punk classic. The original runtime for that record is barely over 14 minutes.
2: It's crazy. that When you look and you see all this, and you're just like... The misfits logo and you know everyone wearing that and you're like oh man i bet they were like you come in not know anything about them, like you listen to their music it's like oh man i bet they were prolific i bet they were like legends and then you look and it's like oh they were fighting all the time and they had stupid looking haircuts it's just like when you <laughs> when you actually look into it it's just like very interesting how that all came together
0: the band was fighting for their lives for pretty much their entire original six-year run. You know, by 1982, the band had only released one studio album, and tensions were already beginning to arise between Glenn Donzig and their drummer who they recruited at the time, Arthur Googie. Or Googie, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I do apologize. It resulted in their shows getting increasingly intense and violent. Man, I can only imagine what it'd be like going to a DIY punk show in the 80s. Dangerous. I've seen footage of Black Flag shows, and those are notorious for all kinds of theft, destruction, fights. It got to the point where if Black Flag came to town, cops would be out that night.
1: In the area they were in.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, Len Donzig's difficult personality would create so much tension in the band. They went through so many members in their short time. I think they went through like four drummers in six years. At some point during 82, Donzig and Googie, they actually got into an argument at a McDonald's that led to Googie being kicked from the band. And from that point, they went through two or three drummers. You could tell that Donzig was becoming increasingly disenchanted with the band. So by 83, Donzig was already writing music for other projects that he had planned and confessed to Black Flag's lead, Henry Rollins, that he was planning to quit the group. So... The night of their dissolution, on October 29th, 1983, the Misfits played their yearly Halloween show at Greystone Hall in Detroit. Their new drummer, Brian Damage of Genocide and Verbal Abuse, became so intoxicated before the show that he couldn't play properly. A few songs into the set, Damage was escorted off stage, and Todd Swalla of the Necros filled in for the rest of the set. At the end of the night, Donzig was so frustrated that he announced that this would be the final Misfits show, and the band went their separate ways. Glenn was always one of
2: those people that needed full control over everything, and he should have just known that he should have had that from the start. Um, The Misfits were definitely kind of doomed to fail because of that.
0: It's funny you mention that because Glenn Donzig had more success with his other bands than he did with the Misfits, like Donzig and mine. It was actually people's interest in his bands in the future that led to interest in the Misfits' past work because people were wanting to dig into Glenn Donzig. And that's how Misfits kind of gained their popularity, as well as bands like Metallica tipping their hat to Misfits with covers from the uh, 598 EP.
1: They included a lot of those on uh, Garage Inc., Green Day also
2: loves to cover uh, When Eagles Dare Live.
0: This would also lead to a major, major royalties dispute between Only and Donzig. So Only wanted more percentage of the royalties for the Misfits' work because it was retroactively becoming big. Donzig said no because he felt that he had full creative control and wrote almost everything they did. So they actually went to court for it, and it wasn't settled until 1995. They eventually settled out of court only, and I believe another member were given the rights to perform as the Misfits, but uh, Donzig got a certain percentage of their merchandise sales. And then
2: they decided to make the the late '90s Misfits, and we just completely forget about we'll, that. We'll time.
0: just uh, we'll, we'll brush that one under the rug. <laughs> I don't know, some, some people,
2: some people like that Misfits better, and I just, I don't understand it.
0: It's I think it's I, bad. I disagree. And ironically, uh, Donzig is actually back with the Misfits now. It all comes full circle. This goes to show you that not all great bands have a great history. What's interesting about Earth AD is that the album was released two months after their dissolution. So there wasn't even a tour for it, and it really didn't receive any major acclaim outside of the underground punk scene until interest was renewed in The Misfits with Glenn Donzig's later work. Now that we've done enough talking about the background, let's go ahead and get into the record. Earth AD, Wolf's Blood. Now, the version we're talking about is actually the CD reissue. So the CD reissue includes three extra tracks, Hellhound, Die, Die, My Darling, and We Bite, but it still only sits at about 22 minutes. It's an incredibly short record, and that's a very common characteristic of most hardcore punk. Most punk records from this time do not even scratch the 30-minute mark. You could literally listen to Minor Threat's entire discography in maybe an hour and a half.
2: Like their entire, entire discography? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: actually not joking. What's interesting about hardcore punk is a lot of the guys who were doing hardcore punk in the 80s weren't actually musicians. Hardcore punk albums need to be that short. And I definitely think this is the case with Earth AD. The, well, the original cut was 14 minutes. It was nine tracks. But those 14 minutes, you are going to be smashing walls, breaking chairs, throwing bottles on the ground, screaming and throwing your fists the whole time.
1: It is blisteringly fast. Listening to this album makes me want to go out and punch people in the face. Yeah, just run out and pick a fight with (laughs) someone.
2: Yes. It is almost a little too fast at times because sometimes it just... And that kind of segues me into the major and really the only problem with this album, and it makes sense given the history, but it is a huge, glaring problem. Now, of course, it's a DIY It's very, very shoestring budget. It's recorded themselves. But overall, the instruments don't sound all that bad. They really don't. In comparison to some of the stuff we've heard and some of the mixes that we've been critical on, given what they had to work with, it is not bad. The vocals, on the other hand, atrociously recorded. It sounds like Glenn Donzig is a football field away from the mic while he's gargling mayonnaise. It sounds awful. (laughs) I mean, it just, it you know, is. Yeah, I I agree. They but. literally messed up the best part of the band, and oof.
1: without having a lyric sheet in front of you, you cannot understand. No, it. no. there's. I don't know how. I don't know how lyric sheets were even made for this because somebody with some special ears had to hear what he was saying. Somebody was really going
2: through it, putting that pen to paper. Yeah,
1: either that or they just hit up Donzig and were like, "Hey, can I get the lyrics for this and post it online?" Or maybe he did it himself.
0: See, <laughs> I it's definitely a problem, but I don't mind it that much because of that raw ass DIY sound that this album has. It's just nasty. On top of that, with the B slasher, like horror flick lyrics, it feels like this came out the pits of some serial killer's basement.
1: I agree wholeheartedly. I do agree with you, Garrett, that the vocals sound like complete dog they, shit. They sound awful. But that's the point i think it adds to the ridiculous rawness of this record
2: i mean i don't really think there's hardly any skips on this whole list because if there were oh man that'd already be cutting a lack of content precariously slim but also i agree that if this was like 30 or 40 minutes oh god it would, I would wear be, I was I would, really fast yes Very fast.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of hardcore punk records, especially Minor Threat. I love Minor Threat. I love that freaking hit you get when you start listening to them, but it needs to come fast and go away quick. And that's why I don't mind the pacing of this record. Now, I remember when we talked about Otoboke Beaver and their hardcore punk record that came out this year, I did complain about the pacing on that album, but it was mainly because they put all the really short tracks, they just shoved them into the second half. I feel like there's a decent spread here. It's short. It's fast. And just about every song here is pretty fleshed out. It does sound a little samey at some points. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's super violent. <laughs> like, like comically violent. Can I go out and... Count
2: <laughs> That's something that this album does actually better than... Some of the other tracks from other various albums and EPs is that the backing vocals, the yes and like the shouts actually accentuate his singing along with the guitar. It really makes it fit.
0: Yeah, plus the hardcore scene call outs were kind of a common thing, those chanting chorus vocals. You know, I think of tracks like Rise Above Mm -hmm. by Black Flag. He says the thing, and then there's the guys in the background screaming. That's hype, man. I that, think that's, that's an
2: audience that's, inclusion tool. i trying because yeah. you you want to get the audience in on that call out. It builds, builds the tension. It builds the excitement, and then you get them involved. It's the involvement.
1: Music like this is perfect for live performances. For when you're fucking angry, you need a cathartic release.
0: That's what I would call hardcore punk. A lot of hardcore punk is cathartic. As someone. Like me, who when I was younger, I was real angsty. I was real wound up. Hardcore punk was my shit. And that's why I really, really like the genre as a whole. Plus, I just have a massive amount of respect for these guys for doing it themselves. Cranking out records, shirts, answering fan letters. Think about Minor Thread. They literally converted a house into a vinyl pressing factory. If that's not DIY punk as hell, I don't know what is. I think the problem with hardcore punk in general, and the Misfits are a big example of this, is there are so many strong personalities, and because they're doing it all themselves, I feel like that makes them subject to more in-band tension, because there's a lot more pressure on them to you know, release, tour, book tours, make merch sell merch produce records i mean that is a lot for one person to handle or a few guys who have no label or record support or really budget because all you
2: have to put the blame on is really yourselves you can't say hey look guys look how this company is screwing us you just kind of have to be like well guys we're not making it work so you know screw you jerry <laughs> what is you guys's favorite track on here though i think it's Mommy, Can I Go Out to Kill Tonight? But I actually really like Death Comes Ripping. That is my favorite riff of this
1: album. Yeah, Death Comes Ripping or Green Hell. Those are my favorites. And Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? It's hard to choose between those three.
0: I'd have to agree. Uh, I also think Demonomania was a big standout. I actually enjoy most of this whole album. And if you include the EP tracks that are added on to the new modern re-releases, Die, Die, My Darling is a big highlight. And honestly, I think it's one of the biggest misfit songs in general. And it's also, in my
1: opinion, the only track that has traditional song structure.
0: Yeah, one thing that a lot of hardcore punk bands struggled with is making fully realized and complete songs.
2: They don't do dynamics well.
0: No.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. And I, even Die, Die, My Darling is still just mostly loud throughout but at least it has some stops and transitions to different parts of the what, parts of the song.
0: What what'll happen is they'll they'll get an idea, like a song idea or an, a melody idea or something like that. They'll stick with that and that's the whole song. And there's a there is a definitely an appeal to that, but if this record were any longer, it would wear on It's welcome so fast. That's why you get this phenomenon with a lot of punk bands and hardcore punk bands from that era is they'll drop a classic and then fall off completely. I can name maybe two or three that survived beyond one or two albums. Black yep. Flag, Minor Threat, who later became Fugazi, you know, with Ian MacKay and Rites of Spring and Dead Kennedys, Bad Brains. That's about it. Most punk bands from this time would drop a classic and then disappear because they didn't have anything they could do with their sound beyond that. That and they were... A lot of times these
2: band members were so new to their instrument that they had reached the limit of their technicalities instead of expanding, you know, their horizons and their sound, they were very limited by what they could physically do on their instrument.
0: Yeah, I mean, playing this music is not easy and there's a reason it's a young man's genre.
1: Especially at, from a drummer's perspective, it takes an insane amount of stamina to play that hard, that fast for It's not technically absolutely as long. It still feels longer because you're just going so hard and so fast. Hey kid, you want to do blast beats for half an hour? I challenge you to try it. Oof, two hundred BPM.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of respect to be had for the DIY hardcore punk culture of the '80s, and that's why I admire the genre so much. And I think Earth AD is a fucking Classic front to back. It does have its problems. It's not perfect, but this is a great record and a punk essential. So, with that being said, do you guys want to get into your final thoughts?
1: Nonstop insanity from beginning to end. Earth AD is an essential listen for any fan of punk rock. The music somehow maintains structure and drive while simultaneously sounding like a loud, chaotic mess. The raw, muddy bass and guitars, accompanied by frantic drumming with unhinged, shouting vocals from Glenn Danzig as the icing on the cake, sets the standard for the classic hardcore punk sound. The visceral horror expunged from the lyrics throughout the album, surrounded by The musical insanity truly gives the feeling of being caught in a gory, bloody, apocalyptic massacre wrought by demons from hell, making this the perfect album for a chaotic Halloween night. It's quite a stark contrast to the eeriness of an album like Juju by Susie and the Banshees, but while the album is not perfect objectively, I do believe it is a perfect hardcore punk album. I highly recommend this for any fan of wild, thrashing punk, and visceral horror and thrillers. 10 out of 10.
2: Wow, yeah, I don't know if I can follow that up. And also, I'm kind of reeling from a 10 out of 10.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I just can't
2: overlook the vocals, because to me, that is the best part of this band, him just being... Relegated by the mixing is what brings this down quality levels to me. Even though I can admit that in a lot of my album qualifications, not having any big bad tracks or skips, especially when the overall length of the album is so short, would give it a big leg up. A very big leg up. Because I do not think that there is a single skip or bad track on this album. It is. The perfect length for what it does. It's a hardcore classic, so on and so forth. It's got character. It's got perfect hard lyrics for Halloween without stepping into over the top, unnecessary gore like porno core or any of like the really extreme genres. Porno grind. Yeah, anything without any like the modern genres do. It really stays in its lane, even though it is trailblazing at the time, but. The mixing is something that I can't really overlook, and it really took my enjoyment down a peg, so I'm going to have to give it an 8 out of 10.
0: There's not really much else I can say. Everyone already kind of covered it. I feel the same way. I think this is a fucking punk classic. Definitely. Undeniable classic of the genre. Misfits came through with a gnarly fucking record that I am still jamming to this day. It's short, it's a crazy listen, and it's a fucking ride. I'm going to give it a nine and a half out of ten. The only problem I have with it is the vocal mixing. Every track here is left. With that being said, guys, any final thoughts before we finish up here? No, I think that's all she wrote. Alrighty, well, this is Off The Key Podcast, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. and I just wanted to give a shout out to LeCrembo for the intro and outro music also check out our link tree for where to follow us we are on Instagram and Facebook and a variety of streaming platforms and if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow it would be greatly appreciated thanks guys, see you later